What is going on, Fantasy Fam? Welcome to the Week 13 edition of Plugged In. I am your host slash guest, JM to Win, here with my good friend, Scott Barrett, ready to talk about this last week, this upcoming week, whatever else we run into. Scott, the only man who was on Mike White, how did this last week go? Did you pull the trigger or did you not play Mike White on your DFS rosters? So I've been dealing with uh, gastritis for, I don't know, like 17 with weeks. Gastritis? Now. Inflammation gastritis. of the gas? Oh, okay, of the gastro. Okay, tell us more. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> I've been eating a clean diet. and That's done a good job of keeping it straight. But uh, if I have garlic or onions, like especially garlic, uh, it really screws me up. And so uh, Saturday night, I accidentally ate garlic. This has happened multiple times this season. And I was just dead the next morning. I overslept and I pulled out of <clears throat> a ton of my lineups. And uh, yeah, so I texted you uh, the pre-garlic. I might yeah, also you give it. You got some uh, attacks on, on your end for the, <laughs> the constant. What people didn't see was the text was like, you texted and then texted and then texted and texted. Uh, it, it looked like I was sending like a <laughs> reading 15 minutes, another text. Draft sheet no. gave you a hard time on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the draft sheet's like a, an all-time troll. So, you know, it's like a <laughs> rite of passage to get mocked by draft sheet. Um, yeah. And so uh, pre-garlic, I was texting you and I was like, my galaxy brain play of the week. Every Every week there's like, I'll write everyone up, all the best plays, then I'll write all the off the wall plays, then I'll reread my article. And then there's like one off the wall play. I'm like, you know, this argument is awesome. I'm going to go all in on this. going to tell the subs not to tail me, but this is my. And I think to me, it always, it never works. And, and so, yeah, it was Mike white double stacks. And uh, yeah, so I woke up the next morning, miserable. I might be a vampire because I, I like, hate, I'm allergic to the sun. I'm very pale. I like, my sleep schedule is messed up or is the gastritis. <clears throat> and so uh, I pulled out of a lot of my entries and then I swapped off of Mike White um, in part because Justin Fields is out. And then they were saying Trevor Simeon would also be out. And it's like, oh, okay, this is a Michael Carter week. And uh, no, that's not what happened. Uh, Mike White went off, uh, still had 100% Garrett Wilson, uh, which was great. Um, but and, like, I was miserable. I was like, so depressed. I was like, oh my God, like some of these lineups were so sick. Uh, I'm such an idiot. And then thankfully, Josh Jacobs <laughs> destroyed the slate, which was the, that's like the, the JM Galaxy brain play of the week. Don't, don't respond yet. I don't know whether or not you played him. But that is like such a beautiful you play because we were talking and, and you did respond to my text messages. You were like, no, that's not bad, especially if Justin Fields plays. Uh, but you were like hyping up some other guys and you were like, well, over the last seven weeks, Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams have combined for seven 30 plus fantasy point games, 12 22 plus fantasy point games. And it's the most condensed, concentrated offense in fantasy, which, like, we love for DFS and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, like, when, when 
the injury, they're like, oh my God, Josh Jacobs is questionable. Like the immediate reaction is, oh, maybe this condenses things even further towards Devonte Adams, or maybe it makes Kenneth Walker more live because if Jacobs is really hurt, uh, they can just focus all their attention on Adams and then maybe they get blown out or they don't show up and then Kenneth Walker does well. That's how I thought it. But the way to think about it, if you're JM or you're a disciple of JM is to be like, no, you just play the lower owned guy and you have massive, maybe you have exposure to one of these guys on like every single lineup, but more so on the under owned guy, because we know the slate breaking upside is there. And so I didn't have any Josh Jacobs, which is, you know, a great Smith, you JM. I'm imagining, I'm hoping you and all your subs had immense Josh Jacobs exposure. So I got some stories. First off, there might be, uh, so we just got back from being gone nine days and there's one cat who keeps trying to jump in my laps. If any of you are watching this on video and you see me spinning and potentially swinging my leg, it's trying to just keep her off my lap. So, of Why course. Why don't you want her on her lap? You, that gives you like cool much. Dr. Got, vibes. No, does that sound cruel? You don't live with this. You don't live with this cat. Uh, she is my, my daily trial. Um, okay. So did I have Josh Jacobs? Of course I had Josh Jacobs. I had, yes. uh, I had 147 rosters cause I apparently do MME now, as we've talked about. Do you have any Mike White plus Josh Jacobs? I had 0% Mike White. And that was, a, right. it so much and I, and I agree with, I so, uh, let me, I'll get to, to Jacobs here in just a moment. Real quickly on Mike White. I thought this was really interesting yesterday in, or no, is post-game press conference. Robert, Robert Sala was talking about Mike White. And he specifically said that there's a misperception of him as like a check down king. And he said that perception of him was built from that Cincinnati game when, you know, as we know, he threw all these passes to Michael Carter and then all these short area throws. And uh, what Salah said was he just was throwing to what the defense gave him that game. Right. But that was the first time we'd seen Mike White. And so that was how our perception of him was built. So, it, I mean, it turned out to be a really sharp call. I think that also the thought process where you were saying, if Fields is out, I probably am less interested in Mike White. I think that was really sharp as well. It just makes sense for talking about how the game is likeliest to play out. I had no Mike White. Um, I had 147 rosters. I had a rule of one of Devontae Adams or Josh Jacobs on every single one of those rosters. Yeah, uh, sharp. Basically, the second time in three weeks I had that rule, the, the – Time I didn't was at Denver, and I had it on about 70% of my rosters. I didn't want to take the full-on risk with that tougher matchup at Denver. Uh, but, yeah, I had Josh Jacobs on every one of my rosters. I had actually, if, if interestingly, if Devontae Adams had had like a 35-point game, I probably would have won the slant going into the late games. Uh, I was in like 40th place with a Devontae Adams roster and like 65th place with another Devontae Adams 40, uh, 49ers defense roster. And nobody in front of me had Devontae Adams. Uh, so I actually could have used a nice game from Devontae Adams. Instead, it was Josh Jacobs. Like my Devontae Adams rosters kind of fell back. My Josh Jacobs rosters leapfrogged those and just had like a bunch that were kind of live toward the end, but nothing that won in that, you know, like lower dollar high entry contest. So I finished at profit, but nothing big in there. On my main roster, you'll love this, Scott. On my main roster, my high dollar single entry roster i had josh jacobs of course three percent owned of course 51 points of course i finished three points out of the money i have never had a 50 point player 
and not that's three percent owned and not cash. I've had like a fifty percent owned player who's like twenty two percent owned and not cash. You know where you're like, man, I'm like part of the two percent that just built incorrectly with this guy. Uh, literally three percent owned guy, fifty one points. Uh, didn't finish in the money, and, and I had Patrick Mahomes, I had Travis Kelsey, uh, I had Rashad White, I had Jeff Wilson, I had the Jets defense, but it was all of my my what's the reason why Josh Jacobs rosters were so live in this slant was because I was also on Zay Jones this last week. I didn't have any Garrett Wilson. And so I wanted to fade Garrett Wilson. I wanted to play the other cheaper guys. I played Traylon Burks. I played Zay Jones. I played some Julio Jones. And this I is, played some. This is the fifth week this has happened where if you combine you and me. Yeah. Yep, uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we need a. Mike White, you. Garrett Wilson, Zay Jones, Josh Jacobs. <laughs> you, you win everything. Yeah, I had uh, Traylon Burks, and and so those were kind of my four, you know, forty three hundred guys. But on my main roster, I ended up with Demarcus Robinson. On my main roster, I had Donovan Peoples Jones, who had his second worst game of the season, uh, six points from Donovan Peoples Jones, and I finished in the money. Which obviously we're not playing to finish in the money, but when you're that close and when you have a fifty one point score from a guy and you don't finish in the money, it's kind of frustrating. So uh, yeah, it was an interesting day. I finished um, like negative 50% ROI because I finished up on my MME stuff um, and again had some some sweats there uh, down the stretch but then my you know high dollar single entry stuff was obviously where most of my money is and that roster didn't come together but um, yeah it was it was an interesting week it was one of those kind of uh, hot streak ended for me and should have been able to keep it going with the Josh Jacobs play but for me I didn't really I honestly didn't think about the injury at all like I didn't even process how low his ownership was going to go I had I think I had 40% Jacobs, 60% Devontae, and I would have bumped that up to like 60% Jacobs if I realized that the ownership was going to be that low. To me, right, we know that late week injury news is not good, but if the guy plays, then I'm still going to expect that he's fine, right? And there was so much that was attractive in the late games that it was like, okay, well, I can I can go into the late games with Josh Jacobs on all these rosters, and if he's surprisingly inactive, then there's plenty of maneuverability. It's not like there's two games and the other game is bad, right? Like all the good games are on that late slate, and then like the good cheap running backs are on the early slate. And so there was plenty of maneuverability. Most of my rosters had five, six guys still going, and so I felt pretty comfortable that I could just put Jacobs in and if he was inactive. Um, but I think that that kind of goes to there is a tendency – to like overthink things, right. And try to be a little bit too fine with things where it's like, um, Oh, well, what if Josh Jacobs doesn't have a good game, but uh, like my thinking is never what happens if what happens on the negative side, but what happens on the positive side, right? Like what, what if Josh Jacobs is healthy and has his big game? Cause that's how we win tournaments. And so, yeah, that was just a nice bonus, the lower ownership there, but again, um, wasn't able to take advantage of it. So, um, so I get on your end, Scott, uh, you had those Mike White rosters, but it's not like you would have had a huge weekend, right? Things just like weren't coming together in the other spots, but nice to have that that call. Nice to have the Garrett Wilson. Um, any other thoughts on, on your end from your rosters this last week? Yeah, again, I, I didn't have uh, uh, Mike White. I, I got off of it. Um, but, oh, I thought you had yeah. some. You had none? I had none, yeah. All right. Uh, the, the stops had a decent bit, though. Uh, we... I, I was I was cashing like there were still solid lineups. Um, I think a lot of Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, with some right pieces on it, and then and then uh, Josh Jacobs went nuclear. So I only cashed on like two lineups. But again, I only paid like played like twenty six dollars or thirty two dollars worth just because of uh, the garlic that ruined my life. 
Um, I wanted to talk about a few things. One, how bad is Zach Wilson? It's almost unquantifiably bad because it's not like Joe Flacco and uh, Josh Johnson and Mike White are good. But over the past two seasons, games without Zach Wilson, the Jets are averaging over 300 passing yards per game. No team in football over the same span is averaging 300 yards per game. So they're the most prolific, most productive passing offense in football without Zach Wilson. With Zach Wilson, only the Bears rank worst, and it's by like a fraction of a yard per game. Uh, It's like incredible. Any thoughts there? Yeah. So first off, it's easy to like coaching pedigree to get that mixed up with coaching talent, right? But still, Michael Floor has great coaching pedigree. Obviously, uh, his brother is a is a maybe not the best decision maker in terms of how to manage a game, but great at designing an offense. And Mike came from under Shanahan, so he has a lot of great roots. And this offense has a lot of great concepts. And you would think that if you just get a point guard back there who can make good decisions, that this offense should be able to run rather effectively with the weapons that they have. Now, granted, we should also mention that Mike White had five touchdown passes and eight interceptions last year. So one game doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to keep up play like this. But I do think that, you know, you and I have been like you and I have been proponents of this idea that the EPA stuff isn't the be all and end all of how teams should call their offense. Right. So when people are like, you know, the, the running backs don't matter and don't run the ball like that crowd when they're like, well, everybody should be passing because every pass play is worth more EPA and all that. And what we've talked about is not every team has the weapons that they should be doing that. And different teams, like in, in MLB, you maximize your runs on offense because that doesn't affect your defense at all. In NFL, if you're maximizing your points on offense, that is affecting your defense. And if your strength is your defense, you probably don't want to be running your defense ragged, like try and get them back on the field real quickly, right? If you're trying to play fast, pass the ball, you get these quick three and outs, or you have these high scoring games and your defense is having to keep up. And so one of the things we've seen, what everybody's talking about scoring down across the, the league. And what I've said, I think we've said this together is that it's, if you look at like the micro, if you look at team by team, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because it's just like different teams playing to their strengths. And so we have a lot of these teams right now that have a good defense and are realizing, okay, we don't have a Patrick Mahomes. We don't have a Josh Allen and we don't need that. What we need is our defense to be strong and keep this game close and our quarterback to not make mistakes. I might have this number. Well, I definitely have this number wrong, but there's a number, something like it was something in the range of the Patriots under Bill Belichick are like 143 and 19 when they win the turnover battle. Right. Uh, And then other like coaches talk about how difficult it is to score touchdowns without explosive plays on offense, because if you don't have explosive plays, you need all 11 guys being precise, not making mistakes, play after play to march the whole field. And so it's like, if you can take these concepts and say, okay, well, we don't have the quarterback that can go out there and win us the game himself. We just need somebody who can manage the game, distribute the ball, keep the chains moving, not make mistakes. And then our deep, like we can play a holistic game where our defense is trying to force turnovers, win the field position battle, force the other team to march the field, force the other team to make mistakes. And we'll win, we'll win these games. We're seeing a lot of teams effectively do this. And so I think that for this team, and that's what I was talking to somebody the other day. I was like, I think that, I think Zach Wilson's done because if you're, Trevor Lawrence, you have a little more room for growth because they're not a playoff team right now. 
if you're Zach Wilson, you're in a team that's legitimately on track to make the playoffs for the first time since the Rex Ryan era. And all your only job is to not screw things up. And yet he can't do that. Right. And so uh, like they got to ride Mike White until they're in or out of the playoffs. And then what do you go back to Zach Wilson next year when you have a, a team that either made the playoffs or was close to the playoffs? So, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting situation. And I think confidence is a big part of everything. Um, I'm going to talk about this in my inner circle podcast today, but uh, yesterday, I, I guess on the Dolphins broadcast, the announcers had said something about uh, Mike McDaniel cutting up like 700 plays of Tua, like a clip, a, a thing of 700 plays. Cause they asked Tua about it after the game. They asked Mike McDaniel about it after the game. Mike McDaniel basically said, like, it's one thing to tell a guy, like, he basically saw that Tua had lost his confidence. And he was like, this guy's a, a great point guard. He's a great distributor of the football. And if we build an offense that plays to his strengths, he's going to be phenomenal. But he needs his confidence back. And so he cut up this tape of 700 plays where Tua looked excellent so that he could basically say, you know, this is not me telling you you're a good quarterback. This is me showing you that you have elite tools. You're capable of being an elite quarterback. And Tua talked about how much that confidence helped him to basically be able to say like, once he started making plays to also be able to go back in his mind and be like, okay, I've done this, these other 700 times. So it, it's crazy, but Zach Wilson really is like, uh, I remember when Jared Saltalamacchia was catcher for the Red Sox, he couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher, right? Like that's happened to a few catchers before where like they get inside their head and they literally can't throw back the pitcher and Saltalamacchia would jog halfway to the mound and then like underhand it to the pitcher. Like that's where Zach Wilson's at right now is like he's he needs to jog down the field and underhand the ball to Elijah Moore to Garrett Wilson. And uh, yeah, man, it's crazy. And, and it's a it's a really good team. Otherwise, there's a top six, top seven defense, and they've got great weapons on offense. It's a well-designed offense. So uh, yeah, also, hey, what about Zonovan Knight, who the, uh, the Jets call BAM? I think that's an interesting spot to talk about as well. Um, yeah, I wanted to stay on the idea of confidence and the importance of confidence. I didn't watch this, but – uh, a follower told me about it <clears throat> in season hard knocks. I think episode one, uh, Cliff Kingsbury spent some one-on-one -on -one time with DeAndre Hopkins, where he was just like trying to remind him who he is. He's like, no, 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 you're a future hall of famer. You're the best in the game at what you do. And it really seemed like DeAndre Hopkins needed that. And it, it went a long way with him. Again, I didn't watch this. This is what I was told, but <clears throat> you look at DeAndre Hopkins, who averaged 87.9 yards per game in 2020 and then 57.2 in 2021 with less target competition a drop off like that when you're age 30 nearing age 30 is typically a death now especially if like you could only manage 57 yards per game while on steroids yeah you come back from a ped which we know that's typically not a not a great career arc after that and then you add Hollywood Brown to the mix. So I was writing him off as dead for the most part. But no, he, he's come back. Yeah, Hollywood Brown had more targets last week. Maybe he's the wide receiver one. But he has played exceptionally well. And that, again, goes back to the idea of confidence. Sometimes you need to be reminded who you are, what your potential is. Don't buy into the negativity. Uh, Steve Kerr has an excellent story. He does a podcast with Pete Carroll where they both talk about this this book, The Inner Game of Tennis, and how important that book was to both of them. And in that, he's, Steve Kerr used to carry that book around with him all year, every year. He played throughout the NBA in college. And in college, he read one section of it. And what he started to do in practices was before every game, he would meditate and he would imagine he was 
not himself. He was some player in the NBA who wasn't Michael Jordan, but was like the closest comparable to him. Uh, not the best player, but like a really good player in the NBA who played similar to him. So every time he stepped onto the court in practice or the game, he was still imagining he's this best player. And he was like, from that moment on, I went from a solid play to like one of the best to like definitely a, a good starter in the NBA. And he was like, how sad is that? I, I had to imagine on someone else to reach my truest potential. But I've just always loved that story. And I, I talk about that a lot is, is, you know, why you have to stay optimistic. Uh, there's been psychological studies done where batters who meditate uh, before the game, imagining themselves hitting a home run, have a significantly higher slugging percentage than hitters who don't, and especially more than hitters who are imagining themselves striking out. I did a long intro to 96 stats a few years ago where I talk about all this the power of the placebo effect. And so that's, that's me getting into my kind of woo woo stuff. But Russell Wilson has a mindset coach, Tom Brady, they ask him like, okay, what is it that separates you from everyone else? And he's like, it's not arm talent. It's not IQ. It's not hard work. It's not, it's, it's just, I have the right mindset. Well, I'll jump in too. Von Miller said earlier this year that what separates good teams from other good teams is mindset. Yeah, I, I, I unironically believe that as much as possible, like everything, everything. Well, no, in it's, it's funny, like we're so conditioned to think uh, like, okay, is this scientific or unscientific, right? But there's also like, there's, there's middle grounds, there's gray areas everywhere. Like let's use critical thinking. Let's talk about this first off, the three things we're getting way off the, the board here, but the three things we know the least about are the ocean, outer space, <laughs> And the human mind, like literally those are the three things we know the least about what we do understand about the human mind. Like at this, like, like I'm sure 300 years from now, they're going to have, we're going to know so much more about the human mind than we know right now. Right. And people will look back at us like we were a bunch of idiots. But one thing that we do know is that like what you tell yourself is your reality. If you tell yourself you suck at something, you are going to suck at it because you're going to carry that out. If you tell yourself you're good at something, you're going to at least have the confidence to be have give yourself a much better shot at being good at that thing, right? And so if you're in, in an area like the NFL where everybody, is, this is not something we can put on a spreadsheet. And, and it's also kind of like when we talk in MLB, when it's like, do batter versus pitcher numbers matter? And people, the spreadsheet guys will say, well, it's too small of a sample size, so it's just noise. And then players will say, well, it does matter. On our end, it's like, we don't know when it matters and when it doesn't. So we can't quantify it. We can't quantify if somebody has confidence or not. But just in terms of like applying this to your own self in your own DFS play, if you're going into a DFS weekend being like, man, I suck at DFS, your chances of winning that weekend are so extraordinarily low. Whereas if you go into a weekend and you're like, all right, I got a good shot at first place this weekend. You're going to be building, you, you shift your mind over to how do I build a roster that gives me a good shot at first place? And then you're going to carry that out week in and week out, you know? And so, um, you know, when I look at it's, it, I've played the slant three times in the last four weeks and I've max entered it or close to max entered it all three times. And I've had probably 10 to 12 rosters in the top 100. And when I look at that, I don't even like, I think of that as like, that should be the case. And then when I work out the math, I'm like, oh, that's like surprisingly well above what the math says it should be, right? 450 rosters out of 26, well, out of three weeks, that's out of 72,000, right? Like how many are going to finish in that top 100? It's well below 10 to 12. And yet I don't look at it like, I just look at it like, oh man, I didn't get first place, right? Because my mindset on every one of these rosters is I'm building 
thinking this roster can win first place. And so I think that so much of DFS is mindset and confidence. So many people build their rosters being like, well, I suck at DFS. Like, let's, let's see how I'm going to lose this week. And then they build rosters without like actually targeting first place. And so you do have to have that, that confidence building. And I think that the fact that we've got Zach Wilson, who you brought up multiple times last year, right? Tony Romo saying that Zach Wilson was going to be like an excellent NFL quarterback because he had the tools and he had like, and even the intelligence, right? To be able to be that. And now he's like completely broken. And it all comes down to, it almost all comes down to confidence, right? Like his mechanics are out of whack. His decision-making is out of whack. He's second-guessing things. And you have to have that confidence on the field, make those split-second decisions. Uh, they talked about that with Justin Fields. Like as he started making plays, you could visual, like visibly see his confidence growing. And uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that those things are important and they're important to carry over to DFS. What about Geno Smith, who had a brutal rookie season, sophomore season, he gets punched in the face. You know, he lost the locker room. He was the, the laughing stock. He was, you know, the New York Post was going crazy. And he is a backup for the next eight years and 2022 he's he looks like he stole all of Russell Wilson's superpowers uh but yeah with Zach Wilson for sure looks like a confidence issue uh he can't make you know the Chuck Knobloch to first base throws he can't simple check downs to running backs uh and how do you get that back I I don't know. Maybe you need a Mike McDaniel or you need to go over your tape. You need to do positive affirmations in the mirror every day. Uh, but yeah, confidence is huge and it's, and it's huge in DFS too, where, you know, you can think you're running bad and then you, you play into that. You start second guessing yourself, uh, which is why it's important to always, you know, stay optimistic. Optimistic people live 15% longer on average than pessimistic people, things like that. So, uh, I think that's that's all important. Man, I like this podcast today. We we have like fifty percent of our audience tuned out. They're like, "Where's the football stuff?" Uh, yeah. But I do I do like this uh, discussion. I think we had one of these last year, one or two of these last year as well. Um, speaking of confidence, Trevor Lawrence had a really good game this last week. Uh, the decision to go for two, Doug Peterson talked about that being in part just like, what do we have to lose, right? Basically, I mean, he didn't go this deep into it. He just said, what do we have to lose when, when he was asked about it? But essentially, they're not making the playoffs this season. They're building for the future. And he's actually talked about that a lot. Like he's, he uses the Ravens as an example of the type of franchise that they want to be. We want to know our identity. We want other people to know our identity. We want other people to know that we're going to be in the mix every single year. And he's talked about how it's a multi-year process to build that. And that st- part of that step this last week was, let's show this guy that I have confidence in him. And he said that, like, I wanted these players, these players wanted to go for it. And I wanted them to know that I have the confidence in them. that We'll go for it in this situation. We like this play that we had drawn up. And then uh, Trevor Lawrence after the game said basically the same thing. He was like, it was awesome that coach showed that confidence in us. Uh, he's a guy who I'm very interested in seeing his continued development in that offense with weapons that aren't maybe the weapons that we would look at from the outside and be like, oh, this offense, right? But the way that they're using those weapons, they're playing to the strengths of all of these weapons. And so, um, yeah, Jaguar is actually playing the Lions this next week, one of four high total games on the week 13 slate. And it probably the one that will go the most overlooked because the other ones are Bengals and Chiefs. The other ones are Raiders and Chargers. The other ones are uh, Dolphins and 49ers. So I can see that Jags and Lions game going a little bit overlooked. And that'll be an interesting one. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that before we get off air. But um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting one. I, I thought this was interesting as well. Kevin Stefanski did not go for two at the end of 
that Browns Bucks game. He said it was because he didn't like the two point play that they had for that week. And he was like, that's my fault. I drew up the play. <laughs> we got in the situation. I was like, you know what? I'm not calling this. We'll, we we'll, we can win this in overtime, but uh, yeah, uh, that was interesting. I thought. And then um, I guess a few other things that were interesting. The dolphins, like 80% pass play rate against the Texans, which Mike McDaniel said after the fact that he felt like that was a mistake. He felt like he put his players in a bad situation. Uh, he certainly put all of our Jeff Wilson rosters in a bad situation by continuing to throw the ball up 30 points. Um, the uh, Jets offense, we talked about that a little bit. The Broncos, I think, are just completely written off. I've stopped I've stopped listening to Nathaniel Hackett press conferences. I don't think he'll still have a job next year, so I don't even know how they're, they're building the rest of this team. Uh, Chargers going for two. I thought that was a, a ballsy move. Why not with Justin Herbert? Um, and then, yeah, Raiders pulling out a win. Uh, shout out to them after all these close losses. But uh, any any thoughts on any of those spots or any other spots from this last week before we kind of flip forward to, to looking at week 13? Yeah. I, I, what, what got you on Zay Jones? Is it Marlon Humphrey moving back to the slot? No, you know, I don't, I don't worry that much about all that. To me, it's like I, I'm looking at game environments. I'm looking at usage i'm looking at guys who are capable of scoring well above their price tag right and so down there in that price range demarcus robinson zay jones Traylon burks and garrett wilson were the guys and garrett wilson you know once all of the stuff started shifting with the bears quarterback situation garrett wilson's ownership started dropping but he was early in the week projected at like 34 percent owned and then by saturday it was down to like 23 percent owned and then by the time games kicked off it was like 11 percent owned and that was one of the first things i checked because i was like God, i hope garrett wilson doesn't burn me right it's like what's his ownership is 11 percent. i was like all right good um but if i'd known he was gonna be 11 percent owned, i would have had quite a bit more of him and and i just didn't really think it was a condensed week right i didn't think through all that but to me it was like garrett wilson was somewhat fragile because if the jets control this game which i thought they could even if justin fields was quarterback just because of the shoulder issue and so it's like if the jets control this game I could easily see Garrett Wilson having, I mean, when he put up 24 with two touchdowns, right? So if he doesn't get the two touchdowns, that's 12 points. And so my thinking was if he puts up like eight, 10, 12 points for everybody, who are the guys who could actually like separate from him by 10 plus points? And I felt like those are the three guys with a little bit of Julio mixed in as well. Julio, probably a mistake. I, I thought like uh, you did. I thought the Bucks would look better off the bye. Uh, I liked Julio, you know, he'd run like, uh, only five fewer pass routes than Mike Godwin, Chris Evans, the, the Bucks last only one game. fewer target, one fewer yard than Mike. Godwin. Yeah. Chris yeah. Godwin, brutal on paper matchup. Okay. That makes me feel a little better about my Julio exposure, but yeah, I, I was kind of like, here's five guys below at 4,300 or below and everybody's going to be on one of them. So like, can any of these guys pass him? Yes, they all can. And so I was like, let me bet on Garrett Wilson disappointing and, and one of these guys hitting and just kind of mixed and matched them in my large field play. You needed some salary relief. I had that um, that one of Devontae Adams or Josh Jacobs rule, right? And then it was still trying to fit in like some Mahomes rosters and some other high-priced guys. And so it was like, how do you do that? You've got to have these these one of these 4K receivers. And so I just mixed and matched the ones that I thought could outscore him. And um, Zay Jones, I mean, talk about, talk about a weird career arc, right? I mean, he was uh, a high, I think a high second round pick of the, of the Bills. Um, maybe it was late first, but I think it was high second. And then he really kind of was a bust and then had kind of some big games down the, that Josh Allen rookie year had that weird incident at the hotel where he kicked his foot through the glass or whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was like a weird mental health thing or drug thing or who knows what. And then, uh, yeah, kind of had like a mini career resurgence and 
the Jags gave him actual money and it was like, what, what are the Jags doing? And then, you know, you watch him and it's like, well, this guy runs good routes. He's involved in the offense. They scheme stuff for him. And uh, so, yeah, no, it was just, you know, hard to run on Baltimore. You figure there's going to be some points scored in that game. And uh, he certainly was capable of putting up those points. Um, unfortunately, I, I, had- I have the, the opposite approach on him where uh, earlier in the week, I was like, okay, Christian Kirk could smash here. Ravens are bottom three against the slot on paper, but Marlon Humphrey moved back in the slot last week full time, which hurts Christian Kirk, but could make Zay Jones the wide receiver one uh, in a great matchup. He could smash. And then I, I, I was like, oh, okay, he's a good value, but he's chalky. This is earlier in the week. And like, what's his upside? He has one touchdown on the entire season, uh, just one game over 69 receiving yards. And if he's going to be chalky, I, I just I don't see the upside there. And so I just got off of him and I never revisited his his ownership. I, I didn't even write him up. But to me, it was like the one thing you didn't even look at was just like that that cornerback matchup was sexy for me. Uh, I want to go back to Josh Jacobs before we move on to looking forward, just because that was, you know, like one of the best calls you could have made all season was was getting Josh Jacobs in his 50 point game. Correct. And I know you were earliest on Josh Jacobs because you got him in week one. Uh, I think you might have also got his other game where he went nuclear or that sweet spot where he hit 30 plus and three straight. So a player who you really like, low owned, high upside, comes on the injury report late in the week, is listed as questionable. Everyone else's instinct, or at least mine, was okay, this this means he's not in play. You correctly, well, the upside's still there way lower ownership what what's the what's the takeaway we can get from from josh jacobs week 12 yeah well i I go back to week 11 and i was saying that week and that was really tight pricing and when you looked at the slate from through a normal lens where you're like what's this player's range of outcomes it was like one of the ugliest possible weeks and then when you shifted your thinking over to what is this guy's ceiling you start realizing oh this is a pretty fun week to play and the, our tendency is to immediately think like, what's this guy's range of outcomes? What's his floor? What's his ceiling? And we were kind of at that point in the, in the season in week 10, 11, where pricing was so tight that you really couldn't get floor. And so if you shifted your thinking to say, okay, can this guy, every player in those weeks, I just asked myself, can this guy win me a tournament? Can this guy win me a tournament? And if the answer was yes, then he went on to my kind of large field list. And then I kind of called that down for my, small field play. And so just that mindset carried over to week 12, where there was a lot more salary available, but still asking, can this guy win me a tournament? And the answer on Josh Jacobs was certainly yes. And as, as ownership goes down, then the answer becomes even more yes. Right. And it's funny, like you brought up me being on Josh Jacobs week one. And I had to like, I had to spend like three weeks explaining why that was a good play. Right. Um, And so you got to be willing to have those where, like it looks wrong at the time because you're then you're going to be there on the weeks when it is right. And so like Josh Jacobs very easily could have, aggra- I mean, he aggravated his calf uh, late in the fourth quarter. He almost didn't play in overtime. And then he had the 86 yard run in, in overtime. Right. So like he could have aggravated his calf in the first quarter and not played the rest of the game. Um, or you could have played him on your, you know, I went one roster week one and it was Herbert Eckler, Josh Jacobs, and they could end up finish, finishing you like in the bottom third of a tournament. And you're just going to be like, that's okay. Cause other weeks, this is going to give me a shot to win. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think 
I think that just that that first place or nothing mindset has to be like let go of what go what what do we think about that could happen if this goes wrong and instead just be like yeah but what if it goes right then what ends up happening for us? I I, I talk to you and John Proctor the most every single week about DFS and I love the balance the counter balance uh, between you guys where you'll be like, yeah, you know, Kenny Pickett could. And like Johnny's just like, I, I'm never playing Kenny. Pickett. <laughs> and, and, but conversely, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not playing Josh. He's hurt dude. And uh, I mean, come on, there's like six backup running backs price, like backup running backs who are going to be bell cows this week. It's not the week to get cute with a hurt Josh Jacobs or, Mike White, go fuck yourself. Like <laughs> a, Jets, a Jets quarterback. Are you kidding me? And like you at least like sweetly were like, well, you have to build accordingly. And like that yeah, was so if you build to tell a story of how Mike White wins your tournament, you can win a tournament yeah. with Mike White when he hits. That um, was a, an amazing conversation for me. Like really helped to, to reshape. Uh, yeah. Like the, the, the optimal, what an, an optimal Mike White build would be. It's not just, you know, uh, adding what you think the best values are and like with, with inherent game stacks, it's okay. You have to build counter to the other quarterbacks who are cheap and priced within that range, you know, uh, something that runs counter to Geno Smith or Derek Carr or Tom. Yeah, like if, if Mike White hits, but then another cheap quarterback also hits, it doesn't help you much. And so it's like, how do these other cheap quarterbacks also kind of disappoint and you build around that full scenario? I will say one place where I was really uh, disappointed with myself mindset wise was I had no Jeff Wilson on my, on my smaller field, high dollar rosters, because in my mind, I was like, Jeff Wilson is a yardage and touchdown back. And even if he gets a hundred yards and one touchdown, that's, that's about 22, 24 points at, you know, 5,900, that's 4X, that's fine, but it doesn't bury me for not having him. But if he, his rushing prop was 80.5 yards and we were back and forth, Zanamir and I were back and forth all week on if we wanted to include that as an official bet in our props package. And then you start realizing, well, if, if we're back and forth on whether or not 80, 80 and a half yards is definitely a plus EV bet, what if he gets 70 yards and no touchdowns and only one or two catches, right? And everybody's on him. And then, um, so I woke up Sunday morning. He was on none of my, like my five max stuff, none of my three max stuff, not on my main build. And then like, I started getting spooked by everybody, including other guys on OWS calling him the best, like low cost running back fill in play of the year. And I was like, I must be missing something. I shifted my main build to include Jeff Wilson. And so, um, I was a little bit disappointed in myself on that. Cause you got to have that willingness to be wrong on something like that. Right. It's just, I mean, it wasn't. The Josh Jacobs thing's great. It wasn't my sharpest week of play. And it was, again, you know, usually I'm starting like Wednesday, really prepping for that site. And I started more like Friday afternoon prepping for the site. So a little bit less time, but, um, but yeah, that was a frustrating one for me. Uh, okay. So let's talk this next week a little bit. It's a really interesting slate. I don't know how much you've looked ahead, but I kind of teased this already. There are four higher total games that are all somewhat attractive. And then there's also, um, some other spots, right? I mean, the, the people are going to, I think, be very interested in Deshaun Watson this week. Uh, I probably won't be just because I know that the Browns still want to run the ball. I know teams run the ball against the Texans. Hard for me to see Deshaun Watson burying me at 6,500. Maybe you'll have some different takes on that. Uh, we've got the Steelers, my boy, Kenny Pickett, playing against the Falcons. 
Uh, I think some of the OWS team will be on picket. I probably won't be just because the Steelers have shown a, a tendency to actually call pretty conservative game plans when they're not being pushed. But I do really like George Pickens in that spot. And then there's some thought that if uh, if Aaron Rodgers is out and Jordan Love is starting, that maybe part of this Packers bleeding the clock down to three seconds every time as Rodgers does everything at the line of scrimmage, like why would they still be doing that with Jordan Love, right? And uh, Mike Johnson on the site brought up to in our in our group text last night, he brought up the fact that, you know, uh, that LaFleur was there with Shanahan when Shanahan was in Jared Goff's ear up until like the 15 second like cutoff point, right? And helping him read the defense very easily could see him doing that with Jordan Love and maybe Jordan Love has a good game. And I think that with all these high total games that are really attractive, I mean, Kansas City and Cincinnati is going to really attract the eye. I think that the attention will be off of some of these uh, alternate spots. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's Tuesday. There's still a lot to think through, but it's a really interesting slate in that very different. I said to somebody uh, yesterday, if we had a 60K salary cap, we'd see some 300-point scores this week. Like, you've got to get 30 to 40 pointers on your roster. A.J. Brown is playing against Tennessee, a pass funnel spot, a team that traded him rather than giving him a contract. Um, so yeah, just a, a lot of upside on this slate, a lot of interesting spots on this slate. Uh, any of those teams or games that I mentioned that you have any uh, top of the head thoughts on? Uh, yeah, so uh, Deshaun Watson is is a player I drafted and like held on to on a number of leagues. Uh, I mean, he hasn't played football in like the longest time. We don't know if he's going to be good or not. But this doesn't strike me as a Deshaun Watson week anyway. It looks like a Nick Chubb week against this historically bad Texans defense. And we're really seeing Kareem Hunt sort of being phased out. Chubb is getting... Yeah, much much to my chagrin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just from a, like a redraft league perspective, I have a ton of Amari Cooper. I, I said he was going to be uh, the 2022's version of Brandon Cooks. But really, I was just hoping he could be like a starting caliber wide receiver three until Deshaun Watson comes back. And then Watson comes back and he goes nuclear in the fantasy playoffs. But he's been a great deal better than that. And you have to think in Watson's first game back, you know, they're going to take it easy on him. It is going to be a chub game, especially with the matchup. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm imagining like heavy, uh, uh, he's going to be super chalky. But uh, looking at uh, another running back in a great matchup, Chargers rank worse in yards per carry allowed, bottom three in rushing fantasy points per game allowed, total fantasy points per game allowed to running backs. Uh, so after his big game, you have to imagine he's going to be mega chalky. So what are you going to do about your one of Jacobs Adams rule on every lineup? Well, we're now, we're now seven weeks. If we take out the flu game, we're seven games in a row where one of these two has scored 30 points. Now, what's interesting is it's 30-point scores have been really hard to come by because pricing has been tight. We've had these low-scoring games, these bad matchups. And so for me, it's been like 30-point games are hard to come by, and these guys are a coin flip. One of them gets you 30 points, and the guy who misses usually gets you 22, 25 points. Like He's not killing your roster. And so if we know that one of these guys is going to hit, let me force one of these guys on every roster. Uh, I'm interested to see what I do this week just because it – there's only so many places you can pay up, right? And we do have Jamar Chase against Cincinnati. We do have A.J. Brown. We do have uh, Travis Kelsey against the Bengals, like in this potential back-and-forth game. Uh, we do have Devontae Adams. And if everybody's on Josh Jacobs, they're not on Devontae Adams as much. 
Uh, and so I do see this week as a week where it's like, I don't want to completely box my, on the one hand, I fully expect one of Josh Jacobs or Devontae Adams to put up 30 points again, but what if they put up only 30 and you need the 40 pointers to win, right? And so this is a week where I'm not going to totally box myself into that rule early, but I would expect to still be considering like one of them on every roster. And I won't just be like, what I'll do is I'll go maybe 60% Jacobs and 40% Adams because Jacobs has the better matchup, but also recognizing everybody's going to want to play Josh Jacobs. And so Devontae Adams is like, can easily be the guy who hits instead. Everybody wanted to play Devontae Adams this last week. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking at, um, this might be one of the first times in the last several weeks where I break my rule of one on every roster just because of how many high-priced guys there are. And if one of these guys scores 30, but two other, three other guys score 40, I got to make sure I don't completely block myself out from getting those guys. Um, and then also, I'll mention this, uh, people will be on Zay Jones this week after he hit playing the Lions, and then Christian Kirk could have his big game in this spot. He will. He will. He, yeah. <laughs> he's, been, he's been insanely matchup dependent. And so with Marlon Humphrey back on slot, that's like a bottom three matchup. This is an easy top three matchup. Lions garbage in the slot. They're ending their garbage everywhere. But um, another player I wanted to ask you about is what do you think you're going to do with Christian McCaffrey this week? If, if I said, I'll frame it this way. Elijah Mitchell's out. The last time Elijah Mitchell was out, McCaffrey played over 80% of the snaps, had 18 carries, nine targets. With that sort of workload, McCaffrey should be the highest projected running back every single week, regardless of matchup, and by like 20% more than any other running back, in my eyes. But he's dealing with some patellar tendonitis, which implies he may need to be load managed, which means we could see TDP or Jordan Mason uh, 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 get that Elijah Mitchell workload. Uh, But just from a range of outcome standpoint, it seems like you could argue, okay, 33% chance he's the bell cow of all bell cows, 33% chance it's the same committee, 33% chance it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, So what would you do with that? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting spot. And it's not just like people aren't going to want to play Debo. People aren't going to want to play Kittle. And what if what if the spacing that Mike McDaniel can create with Waddle and Tyree Kill? What if and, and his knowledge of the 49ers defense? What if the Dolphins are scoring points and forcing the 49ers to score points? And this is like a 41 to 35 game. And the 49ers are I mean, they're. When, when they traded for Christian McCaffrey, the first thing I did was I went and put down some money on the 49ers Super Bowl odds because it was plus 1,600. And they're now at like plus 700, maybe even down to like plus 600 at this point for winning the Super Bowl, right? Like they're up there with the top teams in the NFC. They're leading their division. They're right ahead of the Seahawks, but they still need to hold on to this division lead. They still need to try to make sure that they have as many home playoff games as they can. Like this is a huge game for them. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, post-game presser, like basically just said knee irritation for CMC kind of downplayed it a little bit. Didn't make it like it was a big deal. If, if, if people think that CMC, if people are nervous to play CMC, he's high priced. There's not a ton of salary savings available this week. A lot of high price guys to like, if people are kind of off them, I'll be very willing to take that risk. Cause like you said, he should, if he's playing 80% of the snaps, he should project as the guy and they want to win this game. Right. On the flip side, it's not like they don't have other weapons that they can lean on, right? If they need to load manage Christian McCaffrey, it's not like they're going to say, hey, we need this game. We've got to play Christian McCaffrey 80% of the snaps. 
they're going to be like, hey, we're going to be in the playoffs, right? We're going to be competing for a Super Bowl. We don't, it doesn't just have to be Christian McCaffrey. We can move Debo into the backfield a little bit. We can do other things here. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in this spot. I've been thinking about it already and basically just saying like, hey, Christian McCaffrey's in play for me. I think the lower owned he is, the more interesting he becomes. But I don't think that I necessarily have a, a clear answer on um, on whether or not I will be like heavily attacking Christian McCaffrey. What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, again, it's the injury experts who are saying this is something where he, he probably needs to be load managed. Uh, the coaches, I think, are just saying, oh, you know, he's day to day, and we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on it. Flared up last week, but you know, maybe it flared up last week, and on Friday he's feeling amazing. Um, and so, like, it's just uncertainty there where I would love to know the right answer, but I, I don't think anyone knows the right answer. So then it's just playing the game of optimal range of outcomes. Uh, you brought up a great point. Yeah, this is the Mike McDaniel, uh, Kyle Shanahan reunion. And McDaniel probably does know all the flaws in the Kyle Shanahan scheme and he's going to exploit them. We've seen that when, uh, you know, a Bill Belichick disciple leaves and the team Belichick loses he loses so many games against his former coaches like honestly exactly <laughs> and they're doing what you should do what every team should do against new england which is hammer hammer their weaknesses and the weaknesses of the belichick scheme intentionally by the way are hypermobile quarterbacks slot wide receivers and pass catching running backs and so i'm just trying to think what would be the weakness of this Shanahan defense. I don't, I don't honestly don't even really know. I, I know this year it's definitely slot wide receivers. Uh, does that mean Trent Sherfield goes nuclear? Probably not. Maybe it means more slot snaps for Tyreek and Waddle. I can definitely see that. Um, yeah. I, McDaniel has talked a lot about the importance of building an offense to the strengths of your players. And so I would think that he's going to very much uh, is going to be a talent maximizer, right. And going to say, who, how do we leverage our players' strengths to beat this 49ers defense? And therefore, it'll be how do we get the ball to Waddle and Tyreek in unique ways? So to me, this is a spot where I'll be less concerned with how do they do it and more what players do they do it through. And I would right. very, like you can't run on them, and the Dolphins are not a great run offense. And so uh, I would very much expect them to figure out how do we get the ball to Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle in space. Although that game has a broad range of outcomes. That game could also really disappoint, which brings us over to this other game, this Chiefs and Bengals game. I'm curious how broad of a range of outcomes this one has. And I don't know if we're just like, if my mind still has that playoff game, those two games last year, right. In, in mind, but also like, I think about the big game that chase had, I think in the regular season. And, but then I think about that play where he caught the ball with like, four Kansas city defenders around him and he like took a step back to make one guy miss and then accelerated through the others and just like sprinted to this touchdown. And it's like, that's not a repeatable play, right? What if the, what if the chiefs make that tackle and stop chasing like another one of these big plays? And now the score looks different. His finishing stat line looks different. Um, I feel like this is the type of game that people are going to look at it. Like I literally can't see how it fails. And that's currently how I'm seeing it is like, I don't see how it fails, but I also remember was it was it Chiefs and Bills earlier this season. And when I initially looked at the over-under on it, I was like, I don't see how it could possibly finish below this. And then deeper into the week, you start being like, okay, but what if it does? How would it? You start finding the ways, and then you're like, okay, maybe people are overhyping this game. And that game did end up disappointing, right? So how could the Chiefs and Bengals game end up disappointing 
and and I'll actually throw in the Chargers and Raiders too. Like bad defenses, good offenses. How could either of these games end up disappointing? Uh, is it even worth like going off the board into some of these other games? Yeah, I, I mean, this is definitely a drool-inducing matchup. Uh, if you want to argue against it, you could say Mahomes kind of sucked in both games. And then he was a total non-factor in the second half of the playoff game where Cincinnati really had his number with the right coverage scheme. And, and he looked, you know, it was, it, was, it was his worst half of football ever. And you could say, hey, maybe they, they just know the right way to play this and you have the right personnel to play this. Uh, on Cincinnati's side, Jamar Chase in the first game had 11 catches, 266 yards, three touchdowns. In the second game, T. Higgins had twice as many receiving yards as Jamar Chase, who had a sort of underwhelming stat line minus one touchdown. Uh, looking at the matchups, Kansas City ranks bottom three against the pass. They're dead last against opposing wide receiver ones. So again, Jamar Chase is another range of outcomes play. Like if he flops, you could say like, oh, you can't play this guy his first game back. If he goes nuclear, you say, well, the dude had nearly 300 yards when he played him last year. Uh, Kansas City's worst against wide receiver ones. He's a freak. And uh, those, that's again, one of those things where it's like, you just have to look at the range of outcomes and there's, there's, it's tough and there's maybe no right answer pre hindsight. Yeah, right now, this is a week uh, that I'm really excited to play MME in because I'm like, oh, yeah. there's a lot of guys who can hit and I can mix and match them. And it's a week where I'm not enthusiastic about playing single entry. And so I've already got my, you know, I was, I was, I'm in Oregon right now, so I can't reserve any lineup. So I already had to reserve everything before I got back in state. I already reserved my high dollar single entry contest, but I can still withdraw those if I need to. So like, I'm like reserving the right for myself deeper into the week to be like, you know what? I'm not playing single entry this week because it is, it's hard to make those tighter decisions. And uh, MME doesn't mean you've got to play 150, but like, if you're like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to build 15 to 20 rosters and mix and match some of these guys. Maybe I usually play five rosters, but I'm going to play 15 to 20 and mix and match some of these guys. And, and, target some various ways that the upside can come come because i do think there's a lot of broad ranges of outcomes and like you said we can't necessarily have the answer and it's going to be easy after the fact to be like oh well you had to play this guy or you had to fade there was dumb to play this guy but heading into the weekend it's not going to feel like that right we're not going to know I, I do think one thing is interesting i haven't i haven't been digging into this enough i mean it's hard right with all of these high total games that are highly likely to hit. Um, but one of the things that a couple of the OWS guys have been talking about in our group text is some of these cheaper quarter, quarterbacks, the, the Jordan loves the Kenny Pickett's recognizing that it opens up a lot of salary for you to fit in some of the studs from these other games. And so I think that's an interesting thing, thing to consider this week. Like I said, I actually think that the Steelers don't really push the offense right now uh, unless they're being pushed to push the offense. So harder for me to see them calling an aggressive pass heavy game plan with Kenny Pickett, even against this Falcons pass defense, but uh, maybe Jordan love, maybe Jared Goff against the Jags, maybe Trevor Lawrence, although he's not like that cheap, but yeah, maybe one of these cheaper guys can uh, get you some points this week and allow you to pay up for some of these, um, some of these studs in these games that are going to be really attractive. And, and honestly, it can also be a week to be like, Hey, who are the lower owned studs? Who are the studs that, People are not playing this week and let me uh, attack those guys while everybody else attacks the other ones and, and just see what happens. Um, 
Real quickly, you mentioned Amari earlier. I wanted to throw this uh, out to you. Last week, uh, Keenan Allen, like 30 plus percent owned. Amari Cooper, like, I don't know, four or five percent owned. Amari Cooper has four games this year that are better than any game Keenan Allen has had in the last two years. You know how I feel about Keenan Allen, but I think it was in his last 47 games. He has three games north of like 25.4 points. Um, but in his last 41 games, he has 35 double digit point games. So everybody just looks at all those double digit point games and they're like, Hey, this guy always scores, but he never wins you a tournament. That's not his role. And so it was interesting to be seeing like Amari Cooper's ownership way down here when four times this year, he's done way more than Keenan Allen's done in the last two years. Um, Keenan Allen's probably a guy who's going to be popular again this week as always against the Raiders and, uh, gives us a nice little edge for not playing him in large field tournaments. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to shout you out on that. Amari Cooper one. I thought that was interesting. Um, any other thoughts before we get out of here? Yeah, I had uh, Amari Cooper as the best low-owned play of the slate. He was at projecting at like 2%, which made no sense to me. And I, I said Keenan Allen was uh, a fade for tournaments. I, I think it worked out where like they basically scored the same amount of points. Um, Nate Hobbs, I think, is supposed to be back this week which uh, maybe throws a wrench into uh, his matchup. But otherwise, the Raiders are the worst defense against slot wide receivers and, like, one of the worst I've seen in a number of years. Last thing I want to say before we hop off. So I had the same instinctual reaction where it's like, oh, man, Joe Burrow with his boy back against Kansas City, this game is going to be awesome to the point where – you might just want to go all in on this game, even if it is chalky. But I'm looking at the over-under. This over-under is only one point more than another game, which, you know, looks a lot grosser. Is it Jags and Lions? Massive slap fest potential. Hell yeah, baby. Jared Goff at home, who averages like 10 more fantasy points per game at home this year, uh, against uh, Vegas showing some – Showing some uh, love and optimism for Trevor Lawrence, who's a favorite, road favorite in this game. Uh, yeah, this could be interesting. You know, yeah, the place I, to I, on the I think that the I think that the Chiefs and Bengals one is like a magnet for the eyes. We're just like, oh, this game. Um, but it's not the only game with a high total on this slate. It's not the only game that could pop off. And there's cer- certainly going to be a game among these higher total ones that. And it's like a lot of times we get these kind of mediocre teams like the lions and Jags and they play and, and there's nothing else available. And we're like, Oh, this game could blow up and it ends up being, you know, like 27 to 24. But would it, would it shock us if this game's like 37 to 34? It really shouldn't. Right. The, the lions have shown a tendency to play in these types of games and maybe chiefs Bengals is a little bit lower scoring than expected. Again, Vegas puts their number where they feel like they're going to win this 50% of the time. So what if we get the under in that game where Kansas city goes to the, to Cincinnati where Lou Anarumo comes up with another great plan to slow down Patrick Mahomes, where the Chiefs just play a lot of shell coverage and force the Bengals to march the field. And it's a good game, not a great game. And then all of a sudden you've got this, this Lions-Jags game that people don't want to play that ends up being 37 to 34 at lower price tags and allows you to kind of fit in some of these guys from other games. So, yeah, I think that that's a really interesting take um, and definitely one of the games that I'm interested in this week. I mean, along with a lot of others, uh, it's a unique week compared to what we've had this season, right? It's, it's like still tighter pricing, but then like a lot of high scoring games, which we haven't had in a while. So I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Scott, my man, as always, 
Great to hang out. Uh, really enjoyed today's show. Hope you guys enjoyed it as well, listeners and, and viewers who saw my arm out like this the whole time blocking my cat from knocking my computer off my desk. Uh, with that, we will see you on Fantasy Points throughout the week. We'll see you on one week season, and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.